Well, let's open our Bibles together today to the book of 2 Kings in chapter 7. 2 Kings in chapter 7. I want to tell you, we had a deacon's meeting this last week. And in that deacon's meeting, we talked about some very important things that would be for the growth of this church, of how could this church grow? How could this church thrive? And in that deacon's meeting, we talked about what things would be necessary for that. And Brother Mark said this to me. He said, could you share that from the pulpit? And I thought, well, yes, I can. So, I have three weeks left with you. And I want these three weeks to be the most impactful that I've had the privilege of sharing with you. And that's including this week. So what I want to do is I want to share with you over the next three weeks the three most important things I believe we can do to see this church grow and to see this church thrive. So this week is going to be about we have to share the gospel. We have to share the gospel. Next week is going to be about there must be unity in the church. There must be unity in the church. And the last week is going to be about how we must submit to God and resist the devil. Submit to God and resist the devil. I said all that to say I don't want you to miss over the next three weeks, including this week. Please, please, please be here over the next few weeks. This passage is one of the closest passages to my heart and one of the most important. In fact, I've preached from this passage here before at this church and I I kept thinking, Lord, I've already preached this passage here before, but it is so impactful that I I don't know that we really, really got it. So I want to make sure we really, really get it. So I want to drive this passage home one more time before I can't be with you anymore as I've grown to love you. So I'm going to begin with one of my favorite quotes before we get to the passage. One of my favorite quotes, it's not from Charles Spurgeon, and it's not from uh, other people that I like to quote, and great theologians. The Apostle Paul didn't say it, and it wasn't something that I heard from some great preacher. But it's a quote from Dr. Seuss. Dr. Seuss said this, in his book, The Onceler and I, or The Lorax and I, The Lorax and I, he said, unless someone like you cares a whole awful lot, nothing will get better. It's not. Think about that. Unless someone like you cares a whole awful lot, nothing will get better. It's not. This passage in 2 Kings is about a time in the 
history of the city of Samaria when it was desperation and des- desperate people. These were desperate people in this passage. And whenever difficult times meets desperate people, it leads to discouraged leaders. When desperate times uh, and difficult situations leads to discouraged leaders. The times were so desperate that this is what happened. The king of Syria had besieged Samaria and surrounded Samaria until they were paying a ridiculous amount of money to eat donkeys' heads, the Bible says. And dove droppings. That's what they were existing on. And then in the last part of chapter 6, times got so desperate and times got so difficult that the nation stooped to an all-time low of eating their own children. If you read in chapter 6, you'll read that horrific, horrible story about a mother boiling the flesh of their own child to survive. That's desperate. And I think that this church has also seen desperate times. Don't let it make you discouraged. Don't let those desperate times and difficult situations that you face cause you to become a discouraged people. But rather, let it push you to do the things that you need to do. God allows desperate times and difficult situations in our life to push us to do the things that are necessary and to push us to do the things that we must do. And in this passage, I want us to see some warnings about what happens if we don't pay attention to what God says. Okay? So we're going to begin, remember how desperate this situation is, we're going to begin in chapter 7, verse 1. The city of Samaria is besieged. People are eating their own children. They're eating dove droppings and donkey's heads and paying all of their life savings for it. And it says, Then Elisha said, Hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord, Tomorrow about this time, a sea of fine flour, that means about eight gallons, by the way, a sea of fine flour will be sold for a shekel and two seas of barley for a shekel in the gate of Samaria. So an officer on whose hand the king leaned answered the man of God and said, Look, if the Lord would make windows in heaven, could this thing be? And he said, in fact, you will see it with your eyes, but you will not eat of it. So, the first thing we see happening here is that the prophet Elisha says abundance is coming and a great amount of food is going to be sold for pennies in the gate tomorrow at this same time. And the officer on whose hand the king leaned, the king's right hand man says, no way. No way, it's impossible. It's impossible that God would do that. 
And I know there's probably some who may be here today who think about a difficult or desperate situation in your life or a difficult and desperate situation in the church and you're looking at it and you're going, no way, it's impossible. Maybe in other places. Maybe somewhere other than in Crothersville. Maybe somewhere other than in my house. Maybe somewhere other than in my relationship. But not here. It's impossible. That's what the king, king's right hand man said. Elisha's answer is very interesting. He said, and he said, in fact, you will see it with your eyes, but you will not eat of it. That's the first danger I want to share with you. The first danger to avoid that I want to share with you is this, is that we would see it with our eyes, with God's provision, but we will not participate in it. I said to you this before and I will say it to you again. I believe God is going to move in this church in a very mighty way. I believe God's hand is going to move here in this town in a mighty way. I believe the hand of God is ready to move. Believe that. You say, but, but, but I don't see it. I, I don't see the hand of God moving. I hear you, Pastor, and it's easy for you to say, but, and it's easy for you to say, but I don't see it in my circumstance. I don't see it in my situation. I don't see the hand of God moving anywhere. In fact, it's the darkest that it's ever been in my life right now or in my situation right now. But listen. That is the nature and character of God. It always is that way before the hand of God moves. It is always that way. It was not until after the crucifixion and then the death of Christ and then it was three days later in the darkest hour before the greatest event known in the history of mankind, the resurrection of Christ. You think about it down through the ages as you look through the Old Testament and as you read through the Bible over and over and over and over again, the pattern is this, is that when the time is most desperate and when the situation is most difficult, that is exactly when God shows up because then God gets all the glory for it. And it's the same thing if you look even in between the New and Old Testaments. You see that there was a time where there was 400 years of absolute silence with no prophet and no word from God and no one hearing the word of the Lord. And then all of a sudden, John the Baptist shows up on the scene talking about the coming of Christ. That is the way it always is. And I believe that's the way it is today, even in our nation and even in our world, that the coming of Christ, God, Jesus Christ is coming back. Jesus Christ will return. And this is a time of desperation and a time of despondency throughout our world. And it is in that darkest hour that Christ will show up. He will return. But the danger is that because of our unbelief, just like because of this king's right-hand man unbelief, that we would witness it happening but not participate in it. I want to be part of God's plan, don't you? I want to be part of God's provision, don't you? 
If God is going to move in a great way, I don't want to be one of those that is left sitting on the sideline whenever God shows up in a mighty way. And that's the great danger. That we would see it with our eyes, but not taste of it with our mouth. Not participate in it. By sharing the gospel with people around us. The next thing it says is this, in verse 3. It says, now there were four leprous men at the entrance of the gate. And they said to one another, why are we sitting here until we die? If we say we will enter the city, the famine is in the city, and we shall die there. And if we sit here, we die also. Now therefore come, let us surrender to the army of the Syrians. If they keep us alive, we shall live. And if they kill us, we shall only die. That's the second great danger. It is that we will sit until we die. It is that we will sit until we die. I always think when I think about that passage, I always think about Peter because Peter was one of those that whenever Jesus came walking to them on the water, when he came walking to them on the water, uh, he came out and he said, Lord, if it's you, let me come out to you. And, and Peter then began to walk on the water, but then he began to sink and and we have all kinds of criticisms for why Peter sank, but I'm just glad he walked for a little bit. I think about the 11 left in the boat, or however many were left in the boat, right? Like I think about the ones that were left in the boat and that never bothered to get out and walk on the water with Jesus. I think about the missed opportunities that happen in my own life. I think about the opportunities that God has arranged for me to share the gospel. I was thinking about one of those just this morning about an opportunity that I missed yesterday that I did not follow the activity of God. And we cannot miss the opportunities and activities of God as he's working around us to share the gospel with a lost and dying world. The danger is that we will sit and ignore God until we die. Think about the missed opportunities See, these lepers, the situation had gotten so bad, it's just like Peter in that boat. I don't think he would have ever got out to walk if the day was sunny and the water was glassy. I think the reason he got out is because they were in the middle of a storm and the waves were terrible. And that's what the scripture tells us. And I think Peter figured he was going to drown anyway. He might as well walk with Jesus a while first. Sometimes we're not willing to change. We're not willing to do what we need to do. We're not willing to share the gospel with people around us until the situation gets so desperate in our own heart, in our own mind, in our own life that we finally say, you know what? I'm going to die if I sit here anyway. I might as well try something. I might as well try something. You know? What a grave danger that we would sit until we die. And then when we step out on faith, we often find what these lepers found. Look what they found. The Bible says in verse 5, And they rose at twilight to go out to the camp of the Syrians. And when they had come to the outskirts of the Syrian camp, to their surprise, no one was there. For the Lord had caused the army of the Syrians to hear a noise of chariots, a noise of horses, the noise of a great army. So that they said to one another, look, the king of Israel has hired 
against us the kings of the Hittites, the kings of the Egyptians, to attack us. Therefore they arose and fled at twilight and left the camp intact, their tents, their horses, their donkeys, and they fled for their lives. You know what these men found when they finally decided not to sit until they die? See, here's the deal. If they went back into the city, they were going to die of starvation or stoning because they were lepers. If they went out of the city, they were going to die because the Syrians would kill them. And if they stayed where they were and didn't change anything, they would die anyway just because they're lepers. So they said, why sit we here and die? Let's just step out on faith. Did you know sometimes it has got to get so bad in our lives that we are willing to step out on faith to find some change to do what is needed and necessary. And when we do, we find oftentimes exactly what, this, uh, exactly what these lepers found. They found that God had already gone before them. They found that God had already gone out before them. How many times I have shared the gospel with someone. I've shared the gospel with some individual that I was like, man, they're not going to want to hear it. They're not going to want to hear what I have to say. And then whenever I finally get over my nervousness and I share Jesus Christ with them, I find out that God had already gone before me. That God had already prepared the way before me. That God was already working in their lives. That the harvest was already ready. And the same is true in our lives and our situations when we will not step out on faith even though God has told us to step out on faith. And when we refuse to do that, we often find that God had prepared the way before us. We were just too scared and we stayed right where we were. Heaven forbid... We should sit until we die and not step out on faith with whatever God tells us to do. The next great danger is this. It is that of spiritual gluttony. It says, and when these lepers came to the outskirts of the camp, they went into one tent and ate and drank, and carried from it silver and gold and clothing, and went and hid them. Then they came back and entered another tent, and carried some from there also, and went and hid it. These lepers are only thinking of themselves. They go into the tent and they eat, they're filled because of their hunger. Then they go from tent to tent to tent to tent. Oh my. Proverbs 27, 7 says this. A satisfied soul loathes the honeycomb. But to a hungry soul, every bitter thing is sweet. Can I make a confession today? I was really tired the other day. I went home and Debbie had cooked a big meal. Since it's just us two in the house now, sometimes she'll cook a big meal that's intended for two meals for both of us. 
And she cooked this chicken and this broccoli stuff. And it was cheesy and it was good. I came home and I ate my plate. And I said, well, I'll get another plate. I went back and I ate another plate. And then I went back and I kept uh, picking at that food till it was gone. I, I told Debbie, when she told me how many, how many ounces of chicken she cooked, I thought, oh my goodness, I'm going to explode. I promise you, I wasn't hungry. In fact, I got up the next morning after that. Oh, I had eaten so much. I was so ridiculous and gluttonous what I ate, right? And I woke up the next morning and I'm like, I am not eating breakfast. I ate enough last night for three days easy. I was not hungry when I woke up. You know, that's what I see in the church today. The satisfied soul loathes the honeycomb. But to a hungry soul, every bitter thing is sweet. I could see these lepers going from tent to tent and shoving their faces with barley and flour and raw food of anything they could get in their stomachs. Then I could see after the third or fourth tent, stuff not looking so good anymore. I believe that's the greatest sin of the American church today. Spiritual gluttony. You know, we were talking, I'm going to be very candid with you, one of the things we were talking about in the deacons meeting is different things we could do to maybe grow and maybe maybe uh, reach more people. And one of the things we talked about is we could, we could paint the stage and, and do this really nice and, and do some different stuff with the building. That's a great idea. I have no problem with that idea. One of the ideas is if we change the music and we do really great music and we, we do it the best we can and we really put focus on that, and I have no problem with that. I have, that's a good idea, but I, there's only one problem with it. In today's church, the only people you attract with that are spiritual gluttons. People are Christians. People who come from other churches and they come from other churches because they don't like the church where they're at because it doesn't have enough bells and whistles. They're, they're so full. They've, they've been so full for so long that they're, what else looks better across the way? This doesn't satisfy me anymore. I need more. I need more. I need more of what I want, what I like, what appeals to me. But the scripture says a satisfied soul loathes the honeycomb. But to a hungry soul, every bitter thing is sweet. I saw a Facebook post just the other day that made me think about that. And it's not to criticize this person. This person doesn't live around here and it's not to criticize this person at all. It's just very... Typical of where we are in our churches today. It's just real and honest. It's just a real honest post. And the the post said this. It said, I'm looking for a church that is on fire for God, but I don't have to drive 30 minutes to get there. I thought to myself, oh my goodness, that's really where we are, isn't it? I'm not talking about you. I'm talking about us. 
Isn't that really where we are? Aren't we in a place where people around the country, around the world, people around the world would uh, crawl on their hands and knees to get to a place where they could hear the gospel? Aren't there places in the world today where people would drive for days or miles or walk on uh, walk through through deserts and walk through jungles for weeks from weeks just to get to a meeting with other believers so that they could hear something from the word of God so that they could hear some biblical truth and and today we sit here and say I'd really like it a little more like that don't we isn't that where we are and then consequently our churches try to come up with the next shiniest thing and the more shiny the thing is maybe we'll attract more spiritual gluttons friend no matter what we do in this church The guy that we need to reach that's at home, drinking his beer, watching a ball game or something this morning, doesn't care what color your stage is, how your chairs are arranged, what style of music you play. He just doesn't care. The only thing he cares about is if you know him and love him. You're involved in his life. You care about his family. If your Christianity is real, and if you're passionate enough to share it with him, he cares about that. And then when he comes to your church, your church becomes the definition of church. He doesn't care what's there. See, the bottom line is we've got to share the gospel. We can't do what these, letter, what these lepers did, which was hide it. The scripture says in Proverbs 27, 7, a satisfied soul loathes a honeycomb, but to a hungry soul every bitter, bitter thing is sweet. Let me ask you a question. Are you satisfied or are you hungry? I believe when we get hungry for the things of God, we'll find the things of God. The problem often is that we're just not desperate enough yet. We're just not. We're plenty satisfied. The last verses I want to share with you here, 9 and 10, it says this. It says, Then they said to one another, We are not doing right. This day is a day of good news. And we remain silent. If we wait till morning light, some punishment will come upon us. Now, therefore, come, let us go tell the king's household. The lepers got it. The lepers figured it out. They were satisfied. They were full. And then they realized that if they continued to hide that, that the wrath of God <laughs> would be there. They realized that punishment would come upon them. 
They realized that they would in some way be held accountable for the abundance they knew about. You know what I'm saying? Do you think it's just possible that us, the people in this room here today, will be held accountable by God for the abundance that we know about that's in Christ? Do you think it's possible that we will be held accountable for the uh, alcoholic who lives next door or the drug addict who lives down the street or the materialist who lives across the street who just has everything and doesn't know that they need Christ. Do you think we will be responsible before the God of heaven for knowing about the abundance that is in the forgiveness of Jesus Christ, the blood of Jesus Christ that was shed for them, the precious blood that he shed on the cross. Do you think we will be accountable for that blood and not sharing that with a lost and dying world around them. Friend, I am telling you, I know, I know that I know that I know that I will stand accountable before God for the abundance that I know about that is in Jesus Christ. The victory over sin that I know about that is in Jesus Christ. The victory over addiction that I know about that is in Jesus Christ. The freedom that comes in your marriage when you have Jesus Christ. I I will be accountable before God for that information and it causes me to fear and tremble and I pray that it does you too. All I'm simply saying to you is this, is we will be held accountable if we are silent and refuse to share the good news of Jesus Christ. If you want to know how the church grows, read the book of Acts. Not the latest book you find in the Christian bookstore. (laughs) If you want to know how the church grows, start sharing the gospel with your neighbor. The way it happens is when you share Jesus with someone, And they share Jesus with someone. And they share Jesus with someone. The way the church grows is when we start looking at ourselves and saying, am I doing my part? When you start looking around you at your neighbor, your friend, your loved one, and saying, "I I want you to do your part too. Let's do it together. You want the church to grow? It's really simple. Share Jesus. Share him unapologetically and share him often. Pray for the lost around you. The church won't grow unless you do. Or worse, it will grow with disgruntled Christians who will cause you trouble because they're spiritual brats. Share Jesus. That's a prayer for myself as well. Because I know I'm going to be held accountable. Back to Dr. Seuss. Unless someone like you cares a whole awful lot, nothing will get better. It will not. Right? Right? 
Pray with me. Father, thank you for this time together. Thank you for your word. I pray that you would help us. For we can do nothing apart from you. We can't even share Jesus with those of our own household apart from you, let alone the neighbor across the street, the bank teller behind the counter. Lord, we can do nothing without you. So I pray you'd help us. Help us to share Christ with the lost and dying world around us. But we surely need your help. Help us to see the opportunities and to take advantage of them. In Jesus' name, amen. So, which are you? The satisfied soul or the hungry soul? Are you satisfied or are you hungry? Maybe you need to come today and just pray that God will create a hunger and a thirst in you after righteousness. A hunger and a thirst in you after the things of God. Maybe you need to come and pray for someone that's lost today and pray that God gives you an opportunity to share Jesus with them. Whatever it is that God has dealt with your heart about, you come. You know, I'll never forget... As we stand together, let's go ahead and stand together. I'll never forget I was preaching this very passage one day. My son came in. I was getting towards the end of the message. My son walked in really late wearing a suit, which he never does. He walked in wearing that suit because he was working at a funeral home at the time. His job was to go and pick up people that have passed on bring them to the funeral home that was his job and I think about what Mark shared with us this morning that is his brother-in-law when he walked in late I knew where he had been I thought to myself about those lepers if we wait till morning light some punishment may come upon us. Worse yet. Worse yet. If we wait till tomorrow, if we wait till morning light, someone else will pass on and slip on into eternity without hearing about Jesus Christ. How many? How many around the world, maybe even in our own neighborhoods or our families, have passed on while we have been in this service? In the last hour or so, how many people have slipped into eternity, whether with Christ or without Him? Unless someone like you cares a whole awful lot, nothing will get better, it will not. Come as we sing if God has dealt with your heart.
take me as an offering. Here I am giving every heart be for your glory. Take me. Alabaster jar is all I have of worth. I break it at your feet, Lord. It's less than you deserve. You're far more beautiful, more precious than the old. The sum of my desire and the fullness of my joy. You spilled your blood, I spill my heart as an offering to my King. Here I am, take me. Be remiss today if I didn't share with you what I've been talking about. The fact that there is freedom in Christ. The fact that he did die for your sins on the cross. Not just the sins of the world I'm talking about. I'm talking about your sins. Individually. What you've done. He died on the cross for that. Willingly. Because he loves you that much. He rose from the grave on the third day. <laughs> so that you could have victory over the sin in your life. So that he could be a living, risen Savior. He didn't stay in the grave. If you've never trusted him as your Savior, if you've never committed your life to him, I want to give you a chance to do that. I'm going to be waiting right here as we sing this song. If God has dealt with your heart, I want you to come. And just say, Pastor, I want to trust Jesus today. This is your chance. This is your time. Trust him as your savior. This is your verse to make it personal, real. To make Jesus not just somebody you've heard about, but your personal Lord. If God has dealt with you, come on this verse as we sing. Take me as an offering. Here I am, I'm giving every heartbeat for your glory. Take worthy, worthy. 
pray that that is your prayer today, that song, that here I am, take me as an offering. I pray that's your prayer that today, that's my prayer today, and uh, can't help but think about all the feeble attempts I make at that and how I struggle, but it's my prayer, and they'll take me every heartbeat, and I'll give my whole life in his service. And I pray that's your prayer today too. I pray you'll share the gospel with someone. I, I want to close just an announcement. I know the business meeting was kind of small on Wednesday. So I just wanted to let you guys know that one of the things we really have recognized is that we need to let the church know more what the needs are. Well, the needs are to uh, help with everything in the church. So you're going to see that in the bulletin next week. We want to be more and more increasingly transparent with everything that goes on with the finances and needs of the church. That's what the finance team wants to do. They want to make sure that you all know the needs. And uh, they want to make sure that you all know exactly where everything's going as you give so generously. So you'll see that in the bulletin next week. And I want you to just pay close attention to it so you'll know how we're doing. So we can know sort of where we are to check up. Amen. And can I just encourage you with this? Just like we're responsible with finances and we show where we are with finances, if sharing the gospel is that much more important, why wouldn't we be that much more responsible with how we share the gospel? What would it look like if maybe every Sunday or every other Sunday, one of you stood up here for two or three minutes, just a short section of the service, to share about someone you're praying with and sharing the gospel with, someone you're sharing Jesus with this week. What it would be like if you put in your bulletins how many people shared the gospel this week that you have heard reported? What would it be like if we were as good stewards with the gospel as we are with money that fades away? I think that would change the church, don't you? I think that changes community and the county and so on. May even start a revival from right here. Amen. Toby. <laughs> 